economics is the study of human choice in the world we live. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. By investigating faith in economics, we can learn how they lead to human flourishing. This is the Faith in Economics podcast, a presentation of the Gortney Institute at Ottawa University. Welcome to our show today. I'm Nate Johnson, the producer and graduate assistant for the Gordney Institute. Today on our show, we have Dr. Russ McCullough, the founder of the Gordney Institute and Wayne Angel Chair of Economics. We also have Dr. Justin Clark, the Menard Family Professor of Philosophy and Ethics. And finally, Dr. Peter Jacobson, the Gordney Professor of Economic Education and Research. All right, welcome to the show. We're going to talk a little bit about taxes. Apparently, Dr. Jacobson's concerned about April 15th being around the corner and Being the biblically-minded fella that he is, the old render to Caesar what a Caesar came up. So, Peter, what do you got to say? So, I think this is especially timely. With the change administration, I think probably a lot of our listeners, conservatives, libertarians, either by by their nature unhappy with paying taxes or are recently unhappy with paying taxes, given that they now don't support what the taxes are going towards necessarily. And so, you know, I think it's timely. And especially if you're a libertarian or if you run in those circles, you've at some point encountered this discussion as a Christian of the idea of, well, in the Bible, it says, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. I think, can you give a a quick, I think some of our listeners, thinking of my dad, maybe some other, the idea of a libertarian or who it is or what they believe doesn't necessarily for sure resonate. I want to make sure they're clear on that since you brought it up. How would you define a libertarian, which is kind of a wild card listeners, but Peter, what's your thoughts on it? Yeah, so I think there's a lot of people who would consider themselves libertarians nowadays, but I generally would think of a libertarian as someone who holds to, and this isn't true of everyone, but I think the average libertarian holds to what's called the non-aggression principle, which is they believe that you should be able to do whatever you want so long as it doesn't aggress against someone else, themselves or their property. And so there is political philosophy that is surrounding the respect of private property in all forms. Yeah. And that's where you get uh, live and let live, no victimless crimes in terms of if you want to take drugs and you're just hurting yourself, then that's your thing. And and you also get taxation as theft, which is now where a lot of, you know, that's a libertarian phrase. You've probably seen that before. And this is where the tension arises. Is taxation theft? Should we render unto Caesar? Are these things incompatible? So me getting upset with the police officer that pulled me over because I didn't have my seatbelt on is maybe an example of, I tried to give her a very respectful lesson about, do you really agree with this law? I mean, I was just driving 30 miles an hour in my big pickup truck and, you know, I'm only going to hurt myself and I have a big pickup truck. So, but she let me off. It was very nice with a warning, but I didn't have my seatbelt on. Yeah, so, uh, so that's libertarianism. Yeah, that's libertarianism. And so libertarians are often think that taxation is sort of like an unjust bad thing, which maybe, and we'll talk about this, but maybe seems compatible with the idea that you should render unto Caesar. And to get into the verse a little bit, just for listeners who might be unfamiliar or need a refresher, essentially what the verse is about is a bunch of insurrectionists kind of inspired by the Pharisees trying to trip Jesus up, came to him and asked, you know, they, they flattered Jesus first. They say, oh, we know that you're a good teacher and that you, we just want to understand the law, God's law. And is it permissible for us to pay taxes to Caesar? And they were talking about a specific tax, a poll tax, which is the one that bothered, especially the Jewish insurrectionists the most, because this is a, a form of like you as a person who lives in Rome and who have been conquered by us just have to pay us money just for existing a, a fixed amount. 
And so this bothered them a lot. And so the Pharisees wanted Jesus to be tripped up here because if he says, no, don't pay your taxes, well, then he becomes an insurrectionist. And so the Roman authorities would then be after him and, and try to stop him and the Pharisees like that. But if he says, pay your taxes, he could end up getting the, the Jewish people who he's preaching to very upset with him because he's sort of legitimizing Caesar who considers himself to be divine pretty explicitly says that he's, you know, a, a form of God. Mm, or, or, I didn't or, realize Caesar felt that way, kind of similar to the kings and queens in Europe or whatever, that it was an extension of God. Yeah, and well, there was a, a coin at the time, and actually the, the historians debate whether this was the specific coin in Jesus's region or not, but there was a coin at the, t- the time that said on it, Caesar, the, the divine son or something like that, mm-hmm. uh, was the inscription. And so the thought is, and Jesus, you know, answers this question without ensnaring himself. He said, first off, he calls these people hypocrites. And he asks for a coin. And so someone presents a coin and he asks whose image is on this coin. And they say, oh, it's Caesar. And, you know, Jesus's response ultimately is, well, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and render unto God what is God's. And so this verse trips up a lot of people when they talk about taxation and, and its results. But that's essentially the story that we have there. So, so Jesus skirts being called an insurrectionist or, you know, that he's just basically supporting Caesar's claim to be divine, but rather he says, you know, you yourself are using this currency with Caesar's face on it. uh, So you should expect to have to give it back to him. Was there other taxes other than the poll tax or per person? Is that pretty much the way they did it back then? I don't know if you know or not. There were census taxes and there were income taxes. There was income taxes. Yeah, I think it was like one or 2%, relatively small. Hmm. So so a a different sort of thing. And I just thought for the listeners, the, the poll tax per person tax is more harsh on the poor. So in terms of why we don't do that today, in general, we believe in a progressive tax system where the rich pay proportionally more than the poor. But it sounds like they had a mix of those two things then. Yeah, yeah. And there and there was like fuzziness because the tax collectors at the time would often ask for more than was actually, you know, what they were supposed to be asking for. Mm. And so the, the system was a, a little bit of a mess. But it was this poll tax that made the insurrectionists really mad. And so you know, attention here comes is how could you as as a libertarian or even as a maybe a conservative who believes in sort of like a non-aggression or small government say, how can you be a Christian simultaneously and say you should pay your taxes and also, you know, taxes are bad. And I might lose some libertarian street cred in this podcast. And this, you know, as someone who's described myself over the years as a libertarian or, you know, even an anarcho-capitalist, you know, these are all different words that I've used to describe myself. I do think that scripture is pretty clear here, and I actually do support the idea of rendering unto Caesar what is Caesar's. And I, I think Jesus's message is reiterated several times in the New Testament by other authors as well, that you do have an obligation to pay the taxes of the lands. And so I do think that is the case, and, and we can get into why in some other discussion too. And I don't think this actually conflicts necessarily with a, a libertarian worldview. It seems to be saying stay lawful right? Yes. Play within the rules of the game, even if you don't like the rules, and then feel free to have the freedom to try to change those rules legally again or lawfully. Yeah, and you'll sometimes get like libertarians who will say, this verse, you know, Jesus said, render unto God what is God's, and everything is God's, so render everything to God and nothing to Caesar. Like, people try to play this game with words. It's like, you can sort of do that, but if you look at the whole of scripture, I mean, you read Romans 13, submit to governing authorities. You read 1 Peter 2, live under the laws of the land. I mean, These things are pretty explicitly repeated all throughout the New Testament. I don't think you get to skirt it by by saying, you know, well, Jesus was actually saying nothing belongs to Caesar. I I mean, you know, that's one interpretation, but it seems like why would he have just not said, then don't pay your taxes, right? If you're giving everything to God. 
And there's uh, one additional wisdom before we maybe get into some more discussion there is that on the coin is Caesar's image. Remember on each of us, we're made in God's image. And so this is a, a point that's frequently repeated is that you should render maybe the things of this world to the authorities of this world, but ultimately you're rendering yourself to God because you're made in God's image. And so Jesus's point also reinforces God's sovereignty over our lives. Mm-hmm. And so a very clever and deep answer mm-hmm. from Jesus, uh, which we should expect. So mm. yeah, that's interesting. So my thought on this, you know, for people who are still skeptical, the, the reason that I think that it's important for even libertarians who oppose larger taxes, I don't think this means that you need to support higher taxes, by the way. We live under a government now where it's within the law to vote against higher taxes. And so rendering unto Caesar or doesn't mean that you have to vote for more taxes or anything. It just means you have to live by the law. But there's a reason for this. I think there's a deep reason is that on my view, a Christian's purpose on this earth is the Great Commission that you're supposed to go forth and make disciples of all nations. And this is with the recognition that we aren't really citizens of this world. First Peter 2, again, refers to Christians as foreigns and exiles. You're strangers in a foreign land. We may be sort of citizens of the U.S. nominally, but ultimately, as a Christian, we're a citizen of heaven. And so the question comes about, how should we, as citizens of a different country, or a different kingdom, act in the kingdom that we live Do we act as insurrectionists trying to overthrow the systems of this world? Or do we follow the Great Commission and try to bring people to God within those rules? And I think scripture is pretty clear, you know, throughout Romans, throughout 1 Peter, that the best way to live is to submit to authorities and to do good. And even when people are abusive to you, you continue to do good. And in doing that, you show your real citizenship, which is in heaven. And so I actually don't see these things as conflicting at all. You know, I think if if you went to Mexico or you went to Costa Rica and you decided to live there and become permanent citizens of Mexico or Costa Rica, I think it would be kind of goofy of you to try to avoid their laws and avoid their taxes. I think most people would look at you a little bit sideways if you did that. Yeah, Luther's two kingdom theory kind of came to mind for me from the Lutheran perspective. So he basically said you've got the Christian has two kingdoms that they are a part of both related to God, but the right-hand kingdom is your relationship with God and your relationship, your belief, grace that comes to you through God, all of that part. And then the left-hand kingdom is everything worldly, including church, by the way. So Hmm. the church resides in the left-hand kingdom as it is we dealing with people and the administration of the church and, you know, whatever rituals they may or may not do at a church. But of course, otherwise government, household, everything else is kind of left-hand kingdom. And so your relationship with Christ stands apart from your worldly relations, but you should use that relationship to then enhance your worldly relations. And that's a quick paraphrase of a lengthy document on two kingdom theory that Luther did. Yeah, no, I I think that's, that's a good way to put it. And nothing about, you know, we shouldn't expect that the left-hand kingdom, the, the things associated with the world are always good. And so you can have bad leaders and bad rulers. And, you know, the apostles lived at the time of Nero, who was like trying to kill the Christians, right? Like that was his goal. In fact, Paul, the apostle tried to kill the Christians. That was part of his goals too. And so we don't have to expect these authorities to be good. But remember why Jesus said that you should pay your taxes, Jesus did not want to be viewed as an insurrectionist. In fact, you know who was an insurrectionist in the Bible? A very famous insurrectionist, Barabbas. Barabbas was in jail because he led an insurrection against Rome, and he murdered someone in doing that. And so when the people are choosing between Jesus and Barabbas, they choose Barabbas. I think Jesus' point here, and I think a point that's good for libertarians to keep in mind, is that 
if you're trying to lead an insurrection, like if you're a Christian and you're trying to go on political crusades, then you're, you're not understanding your faith. If your point is to make disciples of all nations, I don't actually think it's ever very conducive to do that by leading like political revolutions. This is not God's kingdom here on earth. Like we, we shouldn't expect that we're going to establish God's kingdom here. You know, that's, that's of another world. And Jesus says that is that this is not my kingdom here on earth. And so my view is that, you know, you can think that taxes are unjust. You can want lower taxes, but to actually like lead political movements and revolutions to try to like upheave government is first off, it's not going to end well because this isn't the kingdom. And second, it's going to interfere with your primary mission, which is to make disciples of all nations. Yeah. Yeah. I think not getting distracted with those worldly things beyond or just living within the constraints that you have of whatever government you're a part of. But sort of, I think, legally changing things, right? Yes. You're, you're bringing up, you know, the overthrow type concept. Yeah. And we could we could talk about that, too. I actually think even like, you know, legal political protests, I don't think are a total waste of time. But I think, you know, Paul has this great line that I've, I've become all things to all people. And so, you know, he says to the Romans, I'm a Roman. To the those under the law, I'm under the law. And, you know, I become all things to all people. You know, you can't have a gospel conversation with someone who despises you because you're a political activist that they disagree with. And so I think you can kind of trip over yourself that way. Now, usually this type of discussion, though, brings us to, well, yeah, but what if you're in Hitler, Germany? Right. So, you know, do we have the right to want to overthrow somebody who's doing that? And I believe, I can't remember what scripture points this direction, but there's at least a little gray area that says, if your leader's doing something absolutely contrary to thou shall not kill and some of the basics, then little all bets are off. But I don't know. I, I think some people would argue otherwise. No, yeah, that, that's, that's a, it's a good argument. I agree with you. There is gray area there. Whenever we get into like questions of when, man, when man's law tries to contradict God's law, I think our primary sort of reliance is on God's law and that we need to like eschew man's law. And so what a libertarian might say in order to like kind of trap someone is say, well, God's law says don't be violent against people and taxation is violence. And so isn't taxation a violation of God's law? It doesn't seem like it is the answer because Jesus doesn't say that. And so it seems like Jesus is granting that there are legitimate areas that government has some sort of say in that you should abide at least instrumentally so you can continue to share the gospel. But I don't think that extends to like, you know, turning in Christians and, you know, throwing them into the lion's den and things like All that. All right, listeners, Justin is just bubbling over there. And so, <laughs> Justin, we're getting close to the break. I want you to have the closing thoughts and give us a teaser of going into the second half here with what you're bubbling on. Okay, so it sounds like we have some arguments that are both prudential and moral. And by prudential, I mean, well, it's usually in your best interest interest to render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, right? And I completely agree with that. It's usually in your best interest. And then there is also this argument that, well, you know, there's God's kingdom and the earthly kingdom. And if we're, you know, as long as we respect our place in God's kingdom, we can render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and that that's fine for the earthly kingdom. But then we found, you know, Russ brought up this, well, what if we're in Hitler's Germany's? Are there some instances when we ought not to render to Caesar. And Russ brought up, well, if, our, if the government is doing things that are really bad, then uh, maybe we are justified in not rendering unto Caesar. And so I think we should just end by, you know, this section by acknowledging that I guess Russ is saying that since our government and maybe all governments that I can think of 
do engage in murder and those kinds of things <laughs> that Russ is saying that we ought to overthrow them. Oh. Maybe we'll have Russ answer that charge. Okay, sounds interesting. I will think about that over the break here. We'll be back in just a bit. If you enjoy our podcast and want to support our work, please consider a one-time or recurring donation. Please visit donate.123povertysucks.org. The Gordon Institute at Ottawa University is the best place in the Midwest for students interested in freedom and justice and its impact on human flourishing, faith and economics in action. We have some great student events that we do. This term, we're including our online students and students in Arizona to have Jim Gortney do a presentation, a recorded presentation, and then there'll be a live Q&A event. So things like that to get the word of economic freedom and its impact on human flourishing is what we do here at Ottawa. If you or someone you know is looking for a college like that, contact Peter or Russ or Justin today. Don't forget to check out our show notes for this episode at podcast.123povertysucks.org. Okay, so Justin threw a cliffhanger out, and I am going to dodge it very carefully. I think it was something about supporting overthrowing the government, or when should you? So if you got a Hitler-style government or, or whatever. So here's what I think is the beauty of the Bible is that there is a decent amount of gray area to suit the snowflake world that we live in. And I, when I say snowflake, I mean that snowflakes are unique that each person is unique, has different preferences. And so I think what's at stake here is what does one person call aggressive behavior and what does another person uh, call aggressive behavior? So when we go to the a Hitler type example, it's like, well, at least 99% of us can all agree that that's a situation where the government's being too aggressive. And so then we get into varying degrees of well, is taxes aggressive or is, you know, this type of policy forcing me to do something or other or act a certain way being aggressive, right? And so we we have all these variances. And so I think the Bible does not come out and explicitly give us direction on that because humans being sinful in nature, having a relationship with God have to make that choice. And that's part of the, the free will argument. And and the thing you can hang your hat on as a Christian is even if you screw up, you've got grace. It's, you, you can't go wrong. You are saved. You are a child of God. And so live free and, you know, pay your taxes when they come due, follow the rules, but use your judgment if something doesn't look right and if you don't feel right and pay the penalty if you don't. But at the end of the day, when you die, you know, you'll be up to talk to God about it. Yeah, I think my guideline in the gray areas, because like this, this is the way that you can like push the argument like this. And this, I think this is the correct way to push it. If you're like a libertarian trying to argue for the non-aggression principle and you want to show like if you want to force the Christian to recant and say that maybe I just misunderstand these verses and they mean something else. You push this hard example of like, what about Hitler's Germany? I think the answer is for any gray area like this, and it's actually not really gray. I think we all understand that, you know, you, you don't become a Nazi in Hitler's Germany. That's not the right thing to do. <laughs> so it isn't that, that gray. Yes. <laughs> but I think what you have to do is you have to, again, think of how your actions, whether it's following the government or not, affects what your purpose on the earth is. And this is what I, I tried to get to. If we're making disciples of all nations, are you a better or worse witness for Christ when you follow a certain law? And so what we don't want to become is insurrectionists. We don't want to become the person who is identified not as a Christian, but as a rebel. Because 
first of all, that ruins your witness, but also I think rebels actually tend to uh, support the regimes that they're trying to overthrow. And, you know, uh, Ernst Jünger has a great line on this, that the, the anarchist nihilist is like a goad that convinces society of its unity, opposition is collaboration. I think that's basically right. You sort of reinforce the government by, by fighting against it. So I think in any case, you have to ask, you know, does following this law explicitly hurt my Christian witness? And if the answer is yes, I think that that's the law you, you don't follow. And, you know, we see Jesus and the apostles at certain times like dodge arrest. And so Jesus, before his mission is completed several times, they try to arrest him and he like disappears mystically into the crowd and, you know, they can't find him. And so, you know, there's a mission for us on this earth. And I think that there are instances when it's best to support that mission by to not follow the laws. But I think the default view should be, unless the law is explicitly hurting your witness, you follow it. Because by becoming an insurrectionist, you're becoming a citizen of the world, not a citizen of heaven. Mm-hmm. All right, Justin, punch some holes in that for us. No, I actually, I don't have too many holes to punch here. I think both of you are essentially correct, especially with, regard to gray area and when you should and shouldn't render unto Caesar. But what I think this highlights, though, as long as people are willing to admit that there is some gray area is, you know, you can run what's called a authorities or a heap argument. And in philosophy, this is the argument about when is a heap a heap, right? We can start out with one grain of sand and keep adding grains of sand to it and make it, well, when does, it, when does, a, when does it become a heap, right? Or start out with a heap and start taking grains of sand away and say, when is it no longer a heap? Now, we don't want to end up in a position where we're saying that no grains of sand or a single grain of sand is a heap, right? And in the same way, we don't want to end up by saying, and this is what I take you guys to be saying, that we ought to rebel against every regime, right? And sometimes I think Peter was saying, you find this in some kind of hardcore libertarian circles, right? That you should Mm -hmm. never pay any taxes, et cetera. But we also don't want to end up on the other extreme saying you ought to submit to every regime, yeah. right? And that's what we are saying when you say things like, well, obviously you shouldn't submit to Hitler's regime or something like that. Yeah. Now, the problem is that it's very hard to come up with a dividing line, right? A clear dividing line with when a regime becomes the type of regime, that, as Peter said, does restrict your ability, you know, in Peter's words, to be a Christian, right? And what Russ said is, I think, maybe something like you have to answer that question yourself. And I kind of agree with that, too, which is that it's very, very hard to make these kinds of choices. Mm -hmm. So, but I actually believe in ethical dilemmas, which is, you know, situations where you don't know what you ought to do. Mm -hmm. And so I tend to think that when the answers to this question are easy, whether or not we ought to render unto Caesar what is Caesar, then yeah, you, you take the easy answer. But when it's difficult, I think the question's actually difficult and it's hard to get around that. Mm-hmm. I had some scripture that I just had to pull up that came to mind that I think kind of supports things. If, if you go to the Old Testament, you got the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill is what we're kind of talking about. Well, We've got a, the U.S. government going into wars and people get killed, right? And so do you support the war? Do you not support the war? And even if, you know, we don't go to the extreme of, of Hitler, Germany. And so in Matthew twenty two thirty six, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is love your neighbor as yourself. 
all the law and the prophets hang these on these two commandments. So here we have, I think, those two things being the leading way. I think that might maybe part of where Luther got the two kingdom theory is that you've got the your relationship with God, you got your relationship with people. And if you love your neighbor as yourself and you find yourself, your government's doing something anti that, then it's, it might be a judgment call. Yeah, I think another place where, you know, we can make this a little easier for ourselves, though I agree it's at the end of the day, you have hard situations, but one way we can make it easier is we can also point out that oftentimes the Christian is called to endure personal suffering, uh, even when it's not fair. And so again, I think this is First Peter. I didn't write it down when I was doing my my reading for this, but I, I think in First Peter, Peter mentions that you know, is the servant greater than the master? Won't you, who is a servant of Christ, endure the same suffering as as your master, who was wrongly accused and you know did no wrong but still suffered? Peter actually says, you know, servants, you know, listen to your masters, even if they're cruel you should listen to them because you can show through your good works and action. And so I think personally, we are called to endure a certain amount of unfairness when it comes to the laws of our society. And so if someone is treating you unfairly as a Christian, the response is not immediately, that's unfair and I'm going to overthrow you. The response is actually to, I think, continue to work hard, continue to show love and, and sort of force the person who's persecuting you to confront the fact that you're of a different kingdom by not responding to, to them in an earthly way. Now, I do think that the harder part, though, is what happens when it's other people involved. And so if the law is sell out your neighbor, that's a lot different than endure suffering yourself. And I, I think that's about the, the grayest area that we could get in the, the hardest question to answer. And I, I think I agree at that point. That, you know, you look at scripture, you look at your conscience, and you have to make some sort of rule for yourself. Yeah, I couldn't help but thinking we've, we've kind of focused on tax, but we talked about policy too, but we really got the taxing element of government, of Caesar, if you will, and then you've got the spending element of Caesar, and you've got this third level, I think, where the spending can exceed the taxes, and we have the accumulation of, of debt over time that passes the buck on to our future neighbors, and so... I think there's a lot of areas to to think about when it comes to government and some we might be, uh, you know, I think there are people out there that might say, well, I'm okay with an increase in taxes as long as spending gets reduced and we get rid of this debt, you know, or whatever. So again, I'm not saying libertarians, you should all support taxes now. (laughs) Again, our our government is set up a way that we have, we are part of the the ruling class in, in a sense, maybe not in actuality, maybe not in effect, but in a democracy, if there's three people, you're all kind of like a one third king of a sort. And if two people get together, then they're the only king or something like that. And so at least under our laws, you have the rights to speak your mind and to vote against higher taxes and to vote to help future generations out and all that things, all that stuff. And so that's under the law, which is what Christ says we need to be is under the law. So doing those things isn't necessarily wrong, I really do think that the point of this is to that you shouldn't become that thing. You shouldn't become the issue because you're supposed to be about something else as a Christian. You don't become, I am an opposition of taxes, which is, I think, where a lot of libertarians fall into a trap is they, they become their political philosophy. They embrace the, the non-aggression principle and th- things like this so much that they, I think this happened with Trump supporters, too, is that you embrace a set of ideas so much that you become that thing that you're embracing. You're defined sort of by like what you're opposed to. I am anti-tax. It's like, that's a very hollow thing to be is against something, if that's your identity. I also just want to point out that one of the things that Peter said earlier, I think is correct, which is that oftentimes 
people who are rebels, especially when they are rebels that are ineffectual rebels, um, in the sense that they don't change the regime, they actually really strengthen a regime. So insofar as you don't like a regime, actively rebelling against it in an ineffectual way will definitely strengthen the regime. Mm. You know, every regime wants, you know, some kind of right. Washington, is it the generals or the senators who the Globetrotters play? You know, the, uh, oh, yeah, the generals. Generals, right? right? I think yeah. It's the generals, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, there's also a sense in which, you know, if you try to withhold your income tax, you know, because say you, uh, you don't like the way that Washington is supporting the Saudi war in Yemen, right? You think that a bunch of Yemenis are dying unjustly. And I mean, I think that I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of our policy in Yemen. If I withhold my income tax, is uh, the U.S. going to fly one less sortie over, over Yemen? No, of course not. And this gets back to kind of what Russ said about there's this debt element too. Like if you withhold your taxation, is that really going to have much of an effect on government spending? Yeah. I don't think so. So the I think the prudential argument ought to be something that you consider here also, which is that your individual rebellion probably isn't going to do much. It might actually strengthen the regime. And, you know, at the risk of stealing Russ's closing line for this podcast, which is always <laughs> what? Be fruitful and multiply. You know, it becomes very hard to be fruitful and multiply when, you know, the eye of the regime is bent on destroying you because you've identified yourself as the the enemy of the regime. Yeah, you don't put on the one ring because then the eye of Sauron turns towards you and, and they, they find you and kill you, right? <laughs> so when you try to when you try to seize the power that's being used to put you down, you oftentimes become the victim of that power one way or another. Either you cave towards it or it destroys you. Mm-hmm. And actually this happened in Jesus's time. So these maybe not the exact obviously not the exact same group of rebels, but about 60 years, 66 years is what they think after Jesus died, a group of Jewish rebels took over Jerusalem from Rome. They had an insurrection. And then from the inside, they kicked all the Roman soldiers out. And they said, this is our Jewish state. Again, we've taken it back from Rome. What happens? Well, four years later, Rome comes in with an army. They destroy Jerusalem. They actually destroy the temple in Jerusalem. And so tear it to the ground. And it absolutely levels any chance of like Jewish people having any sort of say in in the future of Rome, totally destroys the Jewish people. And so again, this is an example of if it weren't for the insurrection, there would still be a Jewish temple in 70 AD. But because of the the insurrection, Rome was actually made stronger. Mm -hmm. And so uh, like Justin was saying, these ineffective attempts at undermining authority actually support it. And, you know, just like oftentimes economic policies have unintended consequences, we should not ignore the fact that our, our political activism can have unintended consequences, which hurt the very ends that we claim to support. And I think this is something that a lot of uh, people who are liberty-minded, a lot of conservatives are now coming to reckon with, is that they, they're going to have to face the facts that maybe trying to help their cause actually hurts their cause, which, which is not a pleasant thing, but it is true. Well, and I guess this most recent storming of the Capitol, I, I think your words, Justin, kind of highlight that too, yeah. that it, it probably strengthen the Biden argument or they, the Biden regime. More they're so they're than... talking about a domestic Patriot Act right now be, because of that. They're saying that we need to create a domestic terrorism Patriot Act that allows us to surveil Americans and make sure that no, no one's, you know, doing anything like this. This is, again, you know, Trump supporters are trying to undermine the authority of the, the Biden administration, and they just opened the door of their homes and said, come on in, you know, intelligence agencies. So, and, and hats off to, you know, 
there's people across the aisle, obviously, like Rand Paul, someone against this, but uh, Rasheem Tlaib, uh, Tlaib, I can't remember her first name, but Tlaib, she, she, she came out against it as well. And so it, it's been impressive to see some of that. Hmm. Well, and I kind of wanted to circle back to Peter's speak our mind that at least we were able to speak our mind. I think our last podcast, listeners, if you haven't listened to that one uh, about free speech, we had a pretty in-depth dialogue on whether that's in jeopardy as one of our rights that we uh, think we have here in the United States and highlights the process of how we can start to legally change government through that foundational principle of free speech. So, and those are things worth fighting for, I guess. Yeah. And you know, legally. (laughs) Yeah, I I agree. And Christians, if if we succeed in making disciples of all nations, the governments are going to start reflecting the values that we believe in because the the people are at least going to strive. They might fail, but they're they're at least going to strive to be like Christ. And by the way, we shouldn't expect that because if you, if you believe the Bible, then you know that like there's an end time and in the end time, Christians are not in control of the world, right? You know, the world is basically and surrendered over to the devil and the antichrist and all this Mm -hmm. stuff. But the point is like, we can change the values of our governments by changing the culture, which is kind of what the hot pie in the sky thing that we talked about (laughs) last week. And and if we make disciples of all nations, that will happen. I'd be confident of that. And it's certainly a possibility. Yeah. All right. Well, that looks like a good place to wrap unless anybody's got any final thoughts. All right. So on behalf of the Gortney Institute here at Ottawa University, we appreciate you all listening. Be sure to get that five-star rating up there so other people can find us. And we also have a little donate button at the Gortney Institute homepage. If you'd like to support the activities that we do, not only this podcast, but our other student programming here at Ottawa University. So other than that, be fruitful and multiply. Thanks. Thanks.